iTrip listeners. Thanks again for tuning in. Just a quick heads up, the original recording of our show with Mickey Hill was done in February 2021. As new legislation on our voter laws are sweeping across the country, we thought it'd be a good time to tune in and share a bit more perspective and knowledge about poll research and voting inclusion. Now on to the episode. Hi, I'm Kristen Spragans. And I'm Katrina Noel. You're listening to The Trip Podcast. In each episode, we speak to thought leaders in the world of research to broaden the conversation of what it truly means to be inclusive. Um, Mickey, thank you so much for being available to speak to us today. So happy to have you here. Would you do us a favor and just introduce yourself so our listeners know the expert we are talking to today? Thank you for having me. This is a treat and my very first podcast experience. So I hope I don't hope I don't blow it. So I am Mickey Hill, the fearless founder and leader of Advanced Insights, which is a qualitative research company. I think of myself as a qualitative consultant, which is a fancy title for being a moderator, but certainly like you, Katrina, I do so much more than just purely moderation. And I've been in business for a minute now, which is really hard to believe. I was curious to find out a little bit how inclusivity works in that world, in that space, in that side of research things. So um, we'd love a little primer, if you wouldn't mind, about kind of what you've noticed and how you try to be inclusive doing that kind of work. Right. So when I think back to my early experiences, I think I even really got into political or polling research by being thrown into it by the company I worked for. I had no idea about it. And some of it really starts, you know, early on, depending on the entity that's trying to get the insights, the learning, the understanding. So it's really a sort of a broad spectrum. It's not just what happens at the polls. Oftentimes, you know, companies will convene individuals to come in beforehand. There's, you know, extensive screening in terms of a questionnaire. They'll bring them in. A lot of lobbyist groups use that uh, technique to try and get a preliminary read on where people are. And then certainly heading out of the polls is another opportunity, whether it's an exit interview or a breakout focus group. I've done kind of like all those sort of bits and pieces over the years. And inclusivity, I think, really matters. Uh, many years ago, like back in the 90s and the 80s, I just aged myself, but that's okay. Um, people really didn't think that much about it. You know, when you think about talking to vol- voters and polling, that comes down to geography, right? Because you have to register to vote within your district or your area, which is dictated by your zip code where you actually live. So oftentimes you would see companies sending out, you know, individuals, you know, uh, interviewers, not necessarily moderators, but just let's call them interviewers, pollsters, to get this information they did not reflect the constituents of a particular neighborhood. You would see, and it was not always a bad thing, but if you're trying to really get insights and learning and understanding, you know, as we know now, it certainly helps to share a cultural background, you know, oftentimes things that aren't particularly sensitive, maybe not a big deal. Uh, But I think when you start to broach some more sensitive topics uh, about, you know, certain, Um, things that are on the ballot, different measures that might affect uh, people's incomes and tax bases and schools, you start to get things that are a little more 
personal, that's where you really need to have more inclusivity and make sure the individuals who are sort of marching out there reflect the people, you know, in that area. And it could be from, you know, a shared cultural background, you know, Black, Hispanic, Asian, but also LGBTQ. I think that's like a really, a really big one that I don't think people have thought about, you know, broadly until maybe the last 10 years or so. I think there's been a, a greater march to that. Yeah, Mickey, I'm really curious, and you're talking about the importance of um, reflecting, people to reflect the community that they're they're the ones having those personal conversations because you can really break down some of those you know barriers to really understand those insights that come through and that's something that Katrina and I have both heard several times before with other um, lovely guests have come on trip. I just wanted to know you know from what you've seen in the industry matching those zip codes matching the landscape of the and seeing the changes what are some of those pivots that you're making recommendations to and how does political identification come into play too? Yeah, so when you're out there in the field, you really don't disclose your own personal affiliation. I mean, that's sort of like the first thing, like just keep it cool, keep it neutral and just say, you know, we're not permitted to share that information, which, you know, definitely bodes well. You know, if you're really passionate, it's going to be really hard to get insights from somebody who might have voted for the likes of Trump that you feel very strongly about. So, you know, you try to like look at Again, going back to geographies, you do have a sense of, you know, markets, neighborhoods, you know, pockets where there are, you know, if you're going to that sort of grassroots, you know, feet on the street ground, you're going to make sure you're matching people that maybe have very strong feelings. You're maybe not going to put them in a Republican stronghold, so to speak, and vice versa. You want to keep everybody in a space where they do feel neutral. So there are conversations that need to be had with the people that are, are going out to make sure that they're not going to have like a flip out or a wig out or an argument. Because it is hard to hear. It really is hard to hear somebody share their beliefs that contradict your own. That's another thing. So when you're in the moment dealing with that, it's really hard. I've done focus groups with, you know, a political affiliation that I was just like, y'all are crazy, but you know, you can't, you can't say anything. You smile, you know, smile and nod, boys, smile and wave kind of thing. So it's a, it's a really challenging thing. And, you know, in terms of cultivating the insights in the report, I think it's even more challenging. So it's nice to have a team of people because if I'm moderating you know I'm you know I can be inflamed if it's something that's so contradictory to my personal beliefs um so it's nice to have a neutral report writer <laughs> get involved to help with that process so I think it's important as you build these types of studies is to take a lot of these emotional pieces into consideration because those emotions will factor into, you know, the output, the insights, you know, the recommendations, the things that are that are coming out. But I think it's really important to factor those things in. And I think politics have always been very emotionally charged. I think they've been more so certainly with this most recent administration where it's, you know, it's it's a very very politically charged situation. But it's it's tough. It really is a hard thing to do to manage the team, the people and collecting the insights and you know sharing it from a very, let's say, neutral, objective perspective. It's it's tough. It's a very emotional thing because 
what are beliefs? They're just a practice thought that's, you know, thought over and over and over again. So that's why you don't want to get into an argument with anybody. <laughs> it's hard. I don't, people don't think about how hard it is, but it's really, it's, it's some of the toughest research I've ever done. Yeah, it's almost making me think there is a skill set difference almost, right? Or emphasis, I guess, is might be a better way of putting it towards that neutrality, towards that polite neutrality, um, what that may not come up in other industries as much. And I like the idea of that neutral report writer who is kind of digesting things differently. Are there any other kind of tactics like that that you use to make sure people be, are being represented um, kind of cleanly as much as you can in this charge space? You know, I think the report writer is the biggest one. And if it's not, you know, I'm, usually I'm not the only person moderating. It's like a team of individuals making sure everybody is matched and they have strategies that work for themselves. You know, we tend to keep these groups. They're typically like 60 to 90 minute groups, you know, because two hours is just a lot for everybody. Because they could talk like the, when you get a really impassioned group and you're talking about things that matter to people in that session, you make sure you've got people that are matched up. You've got the same political affiliation. You've got people that are sort of, you know, there's like a vetting process that goes on to make sure you're getting, when the, the what I call like the breakout groups, to make sure you're getting the right people coming in. Sometimes they're on the heels, they're coming out of, of you know, a voting uh, location, physical location. Um, but oftentimes it's like, would you be willing to participate in research? Da, 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 da. You know, so there's like a follow-up. Then you convene them to understand sort of their behaviors, almost like a town hall, like after the fact. A lot of times they try to do it before they go in so they understand where people's heads are. A lot of the voting research happens in advance, again, to inform various campaigns. In fact, I worked on Clinton's campaign when I was in Cincinnati, and the company that I was working for did pre-post voter research to understand that. But in terms of neutrality, it really is about just adhering to your skills as a moderator and having the language and knowing how to diffuse people, which had, you know, I don't think I've ever have it, had it come to fisticuffs, although even though we had people that were in alignment, they did disagree in some part on certain things, but really just having that skill set to diffuse it. I would, I would not want anybody that wasn't a trained moderator to go into that kind of situation because people are very emotionally charged it's like you might as well be talking about religion so it's that emotional it's that emotional you talked about the importance of like building the design and like putting that in your plan you also spoke about the design in the realm of seeing that evolve in your in the work and within political research so with those two pieces in mind I was reading only six percent of a pollster sample are actually able to be reached for a, a phone interview so I, I wanted to get your thoughts on being a moderator getting that geographic representation the fact that we're still trying to reach people by phone what do you think is it's is going to help change that number or help you know us think about polling in the future? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. And trust me, something that I think about on any, you know, hard to reach audience. And I think the more inclusive you become when you're looking at various minority groups, Black, Hispanic, Asian, I think that adds a layer of complexity to it because there's always a fear that Big Brother is, is watching, right? So it's like, what if I get deported? What if I suddenly have something bad happen to me at work because someone found out I 
felt this way or voted this way or you know where does this information go who is the sponsor of this research like why who wants to know kind of thing i think i see that happening you know increasingly and i know that's dramatically impacting negatively the ability to recruit for this type of research and other type of research people are very scared of identity theft and identity fraud so i think that we are going to have to look at this very differently i think we're going to have to look at rather than starting with phone calls i think we're going to have to almost go not necessarily door to door because that's pretty hard to do and even i think with the census i was reading that they were having a very hard time you know getting people to answer the knock. I really think it's going to come down to doing it, starting at least digitally to start to find people and get them to buy in. And I think, you know, finding a way to humanize our digital engagements, right? So whether it's like how we do in online journals where we record videos and things like that. I've had a couple of studies where I'm like, you know, I'm going to make a little video of me talking so they know who they're going to be speaking to to see if that helps. And it has, it has helped on a couple of really tough recruits where I explain who I am, what I do, but I think digital is the way in, but how do we humanize that? So people know, oh, Mickey's brown. Now she can be black, Hispanic or something else, but like, she kind of looks like me or, you know, Katrina, she looks more like me. She looks like a nice Presbyterian lady, you know? So. <laughs> You're way hipper than that girlfriend. I do have a question to follow up on that, but I'll let you finish your- Please ask another question, Chris. <laughs> well, no, I just, I, I love that she made that point, but if I heard one more survey say white suburban women, it's like, is this just who we can get a hold of because they will talk to us? Or are we, are we actually trying to get out there? Are we trying to reach the small corners of the earth? Are we trying to, you know, I guess there might be some barriers into, yeah, maybe walking up to a house with a Confederate flag is not such a great idea, but you know, there's got to be space somewhere to reaching these small corners. And yeah, to the Presbyterian comment, that sparks. <laughs> no, I think that's it. I think, I think you really hit a big nail on the head, Kristen, is I think that's what gets my goat is that you do hear, to use your white suburban, you know, housewife, you hear that a lot. I don't think they're going to other areas to be perfectly honest. I think, you know, when you look at it more broadly, that there historically has not been an interest in hearing what these, you know, diverse populations have to say or think because it kind of goes back, well, they don't look like me. Well, the white suburban lady, the housewife, that's more how we think of this. I mean, it really comes down to, I think, you know, sort of a confirmation bias. It really comes down to some strange sense of bias and not really giving these other communities any credit. It was like black women who were making it happen for Biden. So why aren't you sending people into these other neighborhoods? I don't know what some of the major polling companies are doing. Now, I think 2020 was our big wake up call. I think that was, you know, that has and is still producing this wave that's still still rolling, right? It's, it hasn't crested yet. We're still on our way up. Maybe we have a few wave sets to count before the next big crest comes. But I think that's the wave of change that's being ushered in, especially when you look at 
what some of these, I think they're finally looking at what some of these more, you know, diverse populations did in terms of voting. You know, why didn't we have that information in the past, you know? And I think, I think the other thing that's encouraging is that, you know, we're all finally having a conversation around race in this company where we can openly talk about the white suburban woman, you know, the black urban woman. I think we're finally able to say it across the board, just, you know, calling calling a thing a thing in a very constructive way. So I'm, you know, I'm encouraged that when I look at polling research or political research from this point forward, it's gonna look, I think how we approach it and how people look at it, it's gonna be very differently because when you look at what happened in, you know, the Georgia Senate run runoff, you know, what was that? We got the results last week and I was all happy on Wednesday morning. And then I was like, by 1030, I was depressed watching, you know, seditious acts happening on the TV, you know, but to know that we're all involved in some way. So I think that runoff captured national interest, you know, beyond state borders, you know, when, when has that happened? So, and there was a wellspring of that was based on, you know, inclusivity. I know a lot of my gay friends were like, we should all give money. I'm like, good point. You know, like we should all throw money into this because this, but the, the impact of this race affects everybody. So I think, you know, while historically borders dictate what happens, you know, certainly with certain local issues, I think it's like important to look at the larger spectrum um, across borders now. I think that there is a bigger awareness because there's so many great digital campaigns that cross many borders, not just, you know, within one's, you know, municipality um, or city or uh, state. So, but yeah, I think there needs to be greater emphasis on that, Kristen, I really do. And there hasn't been in the past. It's interesting the way you're saying that it's almost going in two directions. It's getting more national and global, but it's also getting more specific in the way that we talk about the groups within that ecosystem. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. But I think that's the big thing is I think everybody needs to feel comfortable talking about race and color and creed, those things definitely matter. I think what I'm seeing in corporate America is very exciting because people are finally, it's sort of been my own personal mission of inclusivity from, I mean, I, I've specialized in multicultural research before anybody knew what it was. I'm like, no, this is important. They're like, what? But like to see them, you know, include sexual orientation, you know, whether somebody's binary, non-binary, I mean, really just put it on there. And I had a client not too long ago say, why does that matter? I said, because you want whomever you're talking to, to feel acknowledged for who they are. You know, if they're straight, you know, cisgendered, whomever, maybe they're African-American, maybe, maybe they're Chinese, maybe they're something else, maybe somebody is trans, you know, they want to feel, everybody wants to feel seen. And I think that desire, I mean, that's like the most, one of the most basic human things for all of us is this desire to be visible and to be seen for who we are and to be accepted, not tolerated, but accepted. And I think that is what's at the core of politics, especially right now, is people want to be seen, you know, they want to be acknowledged for their contribution. So to do that, you have to go into their neighborhood or tap into them, you know, across the United States to know that this population, whatever that looks like, is very invested in the outcome of 
an election or a measure or a ballot, whatever, you know, whatever is on the, the ticket as it were. So it's, it's a really interesting time. The last two years have been fascinating. Last year definitely took things to level. I personally did not know whatever happened in this country, but I think we're gonna look at politics very differently because I think this year, everybody had skin on the game, regardless of you know which side of the aisle that you're on. Mickey, I'm, I'm curious, I, I hear two big themes. We get into these, these polarizing languages, like meaning these words that you're this, you're that without really reflecting and sharing identity and like saying what it is or assume, making those assumptions. I'm just so curious about those points around like identity and language as we think about politics. And then, you know, we try to do what, you know, repair whatever, <laughs> everything that we can in disarray right now. So. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I always say, you know, from a more spiritual place, like, you know, things are really coming and when, even when things are falling apart, it looks like everything is falling apart. It's really the universe conspiring in our favor to put it back together in a better way. So it's like, I think sometimes things literally have to crash and burn. So new thinking, new approaches can, you know, spring from the ashes like a phoenix and kind of come back together. But words definitely matter. As researchers, we've always known that, but to hear the media say that, you know, for the, the broader rest of the world is has a wonderful implications. But definitely, I think when it comes to gender, we definitely need to be sensitive to, you know, what the wording is, you know, how do people refer to themselves? I mean, I think that's a kind of a classic technique that we use in market research is that we're listening for, you know, people to like, you know, how do they describe that product? How do, what, how do they refer to that? So I think we need to put on our, you know, our same listening ears and start to ask, how does that group of people, how does the trans community want to be communicated to? How do they refer to themselves? You know, what is the language that they use? And I think we need to not get, I think gender has become more of a fluid concept, which is very interesting to me. I mean, I know that I am a, you know, a straight cisgendered woman. You know, I, I know who I am, but you know, there are other people that do not feel that way. My daughter has many friends and we've had conversations around gender and fluidity. And she's, you know, trying to understand, she said, I have a couple friends that she said feel like, you know, some days or some weeks they are, you know, feel more like the females that they were born as, but then our other weeks, there's like a male part of them. So I'm still trying to get my head around that. It's open conversation with some other people I know, but it is about the conversation and being able to speak that in a safe way. So if you're doing any type of research, especially if you've got the political overlay, I think it's in, sort of incumbent upon the interviewer, the moderator, whoever the listener is, to have that sensitivity and allow someone to lead with that. But it'll be really interesting to see how we look at male, female, other, what, how do we break out other? I just, nobody wants to think of their lives as being an other. I look at me, I'm like multiracial. I'm not technically biracial because both my parents were mixed race, but I hated being other. I hated being mixed. I'm like, who's mixed? Like, what's that? Like, it's like planters mixed nuts. That's not fun. I'm not a descendant of that. So it's, 
where am I? So to see census data where I can indicate all that I am, that's exciting. That feels good. And I want us to be able to do that with gender because gender is not related to genitalia. So I think that's a really big conversation that we need to be having as we, as researchers, as we move forward. How do we capture that in a way that feels okay to everybody? And I think it can be very threatening or scary, maybe threatening is not the right word, but scary to some clients. Cause yeah. it's like, suddenly you're talking to people that are not, they might look like you on the outside, like the packaging says one thing, but they identify differently. It, it's the challenge of the status quo where we're comfortable. And yeah. it's like, ask, don't assume. And, and sometimes that assumption is that safe space. A number of things that we've talked about have connected to what we all could be doing better. Do you have some, you know, write them down now, <laughs> uh, I don't know, quick tips or overarching uh, recommendations for folks? Okay, so the big tip is what Kristen had just said, which is ask and don't assume. If there's something you don't know, ask somebody, a family member, a friend, a friend of a friend, go somewhere, go to the Castro, go into a boutique and ask somebody a question. <laughs> somebody that's different than you, ask. Do not assume anything. And I think most people are really happy to have an engaging, authentic conversation. That's the big thing. Just ask, don't assume. This is just going to be our fabric for the next few years. That just be just it's okay. It's okay to call things what they are. It's okay to make racial references. I think it's okay to make gender references as long as it's as, as it's even. You know, are you is it germane to the conversation? Um, if not, there's no need to invoke it. But if it's germane to the conversation, then absolutely talk about it you know, call it what, what it is. And it, we're beyond this, you know, I don't see color. I think we need to get you know, beyond that statement, which I think we have. And this whole thing around gender is just to be open with the possibilities and not to be afraid of it. Thinking about the ways to democratize and make polling data more representative to our communities, is it going to be the grassroots feet on the ground or are we going to get some point where we, you know, trust technology and the and mitigate the risk of data cybersecurity issues? That you know, I'm if we are steering the ship as a as a nation and kind of having these conversations and doing the work. But I wanted to hear from you on where where a solution um, you think might be in the realm. You know, I think for now, I think it's definitely boots on the ground, grassroots effort. Um, it's about connecting and engagement and humanizing because there is a lot of fear energy when you're doing political research, like where does the data go? I think secondarily, it's really looking at how can we humanize or personalize technology and digital strategies so people feel comfortable engaging with it. I mean, but I think the big thing is the humanity of all of it. And that sort of ties back to the inclusivity that's tied to humanity. I wanna engage with somebody that looks like me and maybe they're not exactly like me, but they are empathetic. That's something that, that empathy is really very key. I know empathy has become like a big buzzword. I'm like, when did that happen? It's always been a buzzword for me. But I think really having deep empathy you know, for differences and deep understanding, you don't have to you know, pretend to be something that you're not and if you don't get it it's okay to say I don't get it but I like that you do so 
I think it's that, you know, that ability to really empathize and engage and connect. And right now that's better served in, in person, boots in the ground. But I think technology is starting to evolve to enable those different things. Maybe it's something in the VR, AR space, who knows? But there, you know, there's some really interesting possibilities that could occur. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, learn more about the show, or check out our past episodes, visit our website at anchor.fm forward slash trip pod. That's T-R-I-P-P-O-D. Don't forget to subscribe to Trip on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.